Hey, this is Ro. And this is Joe. And we discuss the black and white of things. The gray area. Today, we are going to talk about sickle cell anemia, the disease versus the trait, what it is, who it impacts, and as a disease where it stands today. So let me just give you, whoever never heard of sickle cell, a little bit about it, a little a definition per se. Um, sickle cell anemia is a severe hereditary form of anemia in which a mutated form of hemoglobin distorts the red blood cells into a crescent shape at low oxygen levels. It is most common among those of African descent. So when blood sickles, they become shaped like a crescent, which is similar to a cashew. Mm -hmm. And this shape is what causes the problems in the disease. And that's a very, you know, broad, novice definition, right. shall I say, to what sickle cell is and what causes the problems. The main problem is the sickled cell in the blood. But after that being said, and just a little of um, Joe's edification on what sickle cell <laughs> is, let's, let's hand it over to Ro and let you share your story and why this topic is so important to you and why this topic should be shared with general public yes. the row and joe Our showers audience. yes <laughs> welcome back row and joe showers um so this is kind of a q a i am being interviewed by my homie joe yeah about sickle cell disease we're gonna uh tackle this uh go as in depth as we can and i'll just get started so sickle cell anemia is important to me because i have a strong family history my brother has the disease my son, Craig, uh, had the disease. My mother and father both have the sickle cell trait. Myself and my other two sisters have the trait. So we're strong carriers. It's strong. There's a one in four chance that a man and a woman with the trait have a child with the disease. I am not certain of how many people in my extended family, maternal or paternal, have sickle cell anemia. I actually haven't heard of anyone outside of my you know, Immediate. my, yeah, my core group of people having the disease. So anyway, going back to Craig, he was born premature. He developed jaundice about three to four days after he was born. Treatment protocol. He was nine months old when he had his first sickle cell crisis. And that's when they diagnosed him at the time of the crisis is when he was diagnosed with the disease. Uh, the treatment protocol then was IV hydration and pain medication Pain medication for a nine-month-old baby was Tylenol. With codeine, which progressed to stronger medications the older he got. Percocet, Vicodin, Oxycontin, Oxycodone, Hydrocodone was the last thing that he, his last form of treatment for pain management. May I interject here with a question? Yes. So what year was he born? He was born in 1989. Because I know with my daughter, I was pregnant to a black man, and they I did some form of test, if I can recall, the test to see if, or if they, they asked me, and did they do a test? Did they do a test? They didn't do it then, but it has become standard procedure now. Now, I don't know when that became, you know, when it implemented, when it started, but now they do. That's like testing for any other uh blood, any other disorder during pregnancy, anomaly, they test automatically for sickle cell trait. Well, they couldn't test me for it. I feel like they questioned me, and then I was saying, do they do tests when they're born? No. I don't 
know if they do test when when the child is born, but maybe. I'm not really. Now, that's a question I can't answer. Yeah, Sorry. I don't know. No, I that's okay. Curious. No, 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 no. So um, as a young child, uh, he may have been hospitalized two to three times a year. His spleen, he had a splenectomy or spleen removed at the age of seven or eight. I, that was a long time ago, so right. I don't remember. His gallbladder was removed at the age of eight or nine. He had a stroke at nine or 10. And I'm so sorry, but I, that was so long ago. <laughs> hey, I get it. Yeah. So after he had the stroke, he was put on what's called a blood a transfusion program. And that's where like every four to six weeks, every six weeks, he had to go into the hospital for a blood transfusion. <clears throat> um, they came up with the, when he was really, when his hemoglobin was really low, sicklers generally have a low hemoglobin. I think normal is like 13. His would get as low as four, and the highest he ever got was eight. So th that's something. And that in itself is pretty rough. Yes, it is. Because I have anemia. So even when I had a blood level, I think, of like 10, I felt like I couldn't even yeah, like, so walk a block without being out of breath. 27 years of yeah that. Right. <clears throat> so the exchange transfusion is where they take out his blood, and then they put in you know, replace it with new blood. Um, and that is when he was his healthiest. Now, he would have transfusions every six weeks, but when he had the exchange transfusion, which was when he was really, really sick, he would bounce off the walls after. It was like, whew, like he I got it. I can a, imagine. Yeah, like, oh, wow, he's this Superman. Is, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, because of these exchange transfusions, me, myself, as a mom... I was like, okay, this is a lot of blood from people we don't know what's going on. And I had heard about this medication, which was a trial for adults at the time, called hydroxyurea, but it wasn't being tested in children. So I had to be a strong advocate for Craig receiving that medication at the age of 12. Like I went toe to toe with his hematologist about, well, why can't he let him be the first one? I mean headstrong about it and and it he well by by any means why wouldn't you I exactly mean, as as a little the little short time from birth till what 10 he had had the so amount much. of times you were in the doctor's office the surgeries the stroke yes, yes. all and, those things to see your child go through and he I mean, also had a heart attack and right. you know late teens early 20s so uh, he, you know how everyone knows how teenagers are. So between the age of when he got on the hydroxyurea, so between the age of say like 12 to 16, he may have been hospitalized twice a year, which was amazing. It was good. Like he was good. Mm -hmm. Once he got to the age of, I don't have to listen to you. I'm not doing this shit. You know, right. he didn't take it as much. So the hospitalizations became more frequent. And so because of all of the blood transfusions, he developed what's called blood and antibodies to the blood, um, which made it more difficult to find blood to match for him. Um, in 2011, he was diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension, which is pretty much a death sentence. Usually once a person is diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension at that time, the life expectancy wasn't really long, like maybe two to three years. <clears throat> Um, he also had COPD and congestive heart failure. And this was in the last like three to five years of his life. Um, 
during that time, he was hospitalized maybe once a month, staying one to two times a week and sometimes even longer. So the last three to five years of his life, literally, we were in the hospital all the time, all the time. Ah, uh, you have any mo- <laughs> a, a few people have been cured of sickle cell disease. I do want to bring that up uh, through stem cell transplants within the last decade. The latest is a 29-year-old gentleman in Alabama who was cured through a new gene therapy, which fixed a gene that causes his cells to sickle by reinserting that gene using the HIV virus minus the parts of the virus that causes the infection. I'm still really confused about that, but he no longer has sickle cell and obviously he doesn't have HIV either. Well, you know, you hear about, like we heard about him, you know, just like we heard about the random guy in some other country who was cured of HIV. You hear, hear about these random people, right? but we're not hearing enough. We're not hearing like it's this easy as one, two, three to go into a hospital, to go into a doctor's office, get signed up for some kind of treatment, just like how you get signed up for chemotherapy. You know, you're not hearing that in sickle cell patients. You're not really hearing anything about sickle cell at all. Right. And we know why that is. It's the the gray area. It's the black and white. Right. So we we can we can know that, but we can't really. Like you can't really prove it, but but per can se. you not prove it? I know, it, like it can be this. I don't know. With this study, I mean, with what we're reading and all this, what the studies are showing, you know, it can, you know, there's a lot of proof to be told. I just there was something that I wanted to read. Just basically, just a little bit of research, but um, let's get back to what your story. So. What is the specific group of people that you want to reach to outside of the sickle cell, you know, patients and families? Because I'm assuming like you're assuming I'm assuming you're the same assuming the same thing that I'm assuming is that all mothers who have went through this battle with their kids probably know as much as you. Right. If they're so this podcast is for them because it's always good to know that you're not alone and there are people out there advocating for your family members. But other than that. Is there anyone else outside of the sickle cell patient or their families that you want to speak to on this subject? I mean, medical professionals, that's a big one because during Craig's life, I really had to be sometimes the angry black woman to get attention just for him to be treated like a human being and not like, you know, the older he got, it was, you know, he was treated like a drug seeker. Mm -hmm. Um, went toe-to-toe with a physician about telling Craig that don't make this isn't a hotel room. I mean, you know, Craig called me, mom, this doctor just told me some shit, blah, blah, blah. And I was at the hospital within 10 minutes raising holy hell. Like who, you know? Uh, Yeah. I've read a lot of bad things. Like I heard references, like they felt like they were being treated like the angry stepchild or like a drug addict. And it's sad that that's the norm. You know, that's the norm. It, it's not unusual for this to happen for with patients who suffer from sickle cell disease. And I just want to give a little st- statistic that sickle cell disease uh, impacts approximately 100,000 Americans. So this is, it needs attention, a larger platform, better medical care for patients and support for families. So, And that's actually not even a very good... Statistic. I mean, that's 
generalized. That's generalized. Because there is no national registry for there sickle cell. And as long as sickle cell's been around, what, it was first really figured out in the 20s? No. I mean, maybe before that. <laughs> it may have been before that, but as far as documented in medical journals. So discovered in 1910. Okay, so 1910. Uh-huh. And there are five types of sickle cell, depending on the type of sickle cell, you know, the trait the parent has. So there's sickle cell SS, which is what my son had, which is pretty bad. There's sickle cell SC. Um, and the disease, according to these statistics, sickle cell SS is found in African-Americans and Indians. Sickle cell SC, which is sickle hemoglobin C, um, can be what? It doesn't really say. So I guess the same, but that's not as Again, you're still generalizing because <laughs> they know that it affects people of color. They right, know that right, it starts right, in malaria. Right. But, but what they if there's no national registry and there's real it's very understudied, there's yeah. really no specification on who exactly has it and what, what it is. Right, 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 right. Because I think I've read actually a white kid did have some form of thalassemia. And there is a sickle beta plus thalassemia, which can be as severe as the sickle cell SS. Found in Mediterranean and Caribbean people, sickle cell right. hemoglobin D, which is found in Asians and Latin Americans, um, sickle cell hemoglobin O, found in Arabian, North African, and Eastern Mediterranean people. So again, we mentioned the worldwide malaria belt, right. and those are people. But but again, it's something else that's affecting people of color. That if it was affecting people of no color, it may be studied more, it may be funded more, well, it may be paid a little bit more attention does to. Does that bring us to another statistic? Just go ahead and spit it. Spit your statistic. Okay, so this comes from an article, uh, Sickle Cell Patients Suffer as Disparities in Care and Research Persist, written in May of 2018. Uh, a study in the journal Blood reported that cystic fibrosis, which affects approximately 30,000 people nationally, receives 7 to 11 times more funding per patient than sickle cell disease. Right. And in 2014, the ALS challenge raised more than $150 million for 20,000 patients in the U.S., about 77,000, um, I'm sorry, $77 million of that went to research, whereas... For a disease that affects 20,000 people, and that's on a registry. Right. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not just based off general statistics mm-hmm. of people that are based... Some of these people, I mean, there's studies show that a lot of people who have sickle cell, diagnosed with sickle cell, don't even seek treatment, treatment from hematologists... Because 20% of hematologists don't even treat sickle cell patients at all because of their lack of education on the actual disease. So that in itself speaks volumes on the lack of attention that it gets. And it's just hard to not, it's really just hard not to think of it in the gray area. In the gray area. Mm -hmm. Another... uh, Quote from that article, advocates say poor ER care has caused death due to lack of knowledge about sickle cell disease. Patients endure harmful, unnecessarily long waits in the ER, are accused of seeking opioids to get high and not to relieve pain, and are mistreated and maltreated. So that goes back to, like I said, what, what Craig experienced. Right. Mistreatment, you're a drug seeker, you know, 
forget the fact that you have this deadly disease. You're a black person and, and there's an opioid crisis and you're just here to get your hydrocodone. Well, forget the fact that you have a chart that clearly states you have sickle cell and you have this and you have yes. this and you have this and you have all the reasons to need pain medicine. And let's not forget. It's, it's true. It's literally in a study that I read. I'm not going to, I don't do the statistics like you do <laughs> as on point, but it does state that physicians, a lot of physicians aren't even comfortable. What is it? Two out of four? One out of four aren't even comfortable treating patients. With sickle cell disease. With sickle cell disease because they have no knowledge of the disease. Which is sad. Which is when sad. When so many people have it in comparison to a disease like cystic fibrosis or, you know, ALS. Right. In general, 80% of the patients with sickle cell are not treated properly. And that's a large percentage. Of people. Of yes. people. Just want to... Uh, add that diet is very important because a lot of times, you know, we talk about, we're talking about opioids and I just want to interject something that in listening to my story, the very first protocol for pain management or treatment for this for my nine month old son was IV hydration and pain medication. Right. Okay. And that was up until the age of 12 when I advocated for him to get the hydroxyurea. So how do you call someone a drug seeker in the medical profession as a medical professional, as a physician, a nurse practitioner, a nurse, when this has been the treatment protocol for years and years and years with right. these patients? What are they supposed to do? And like I said, he progressed from Tylenol to Tylenol with codeine to Tylenol number three, Tylenol number four, Vicodin, Percocet. Oxycontin, oxycodone, hydrocodone. So here's the progression. Yet and still, you want to call them. This is what you're treating them with, right? And then you turn around when they're an adult and they're coming too often. You turn around and call them drug seekers. Yeah, that's fucked up. It is, and it's kind of weird that drug seekers always find the opioids, but then patients actually go to ERs looking for true pain medicine. Like they get, because I wanted to note in here that. Um, I do have someone near and dear to my heart who yes. had a so, like a terrible condition and she was going to the ER seeking help mm -hmm. and they were considering her a drug seeker because she was going there talking about she had back pain. But at the end of the day, she ended up having uh, pancreatic cancer and that's the first sign of having pancreatic cancer. So they didn't take her pain serious. serious. They thought she just was seeking drugs and they never tested her for why she was having back pain. They never even referred her to find someone to look into why she was having back pain, which it was eventually diagnosed. And she is also, I don't want, and let, by no means are we saying that world, but. white people don't experience this same type of, you know, ignorance from the medical professionals, because just a couple of weeks ago, there was a trending topic on Twitter about this very topic, about the fact that, you know, medical professionals, doctors, they fucking ignore you. They don't pay attention to what the fuck they is don't. happening. No, they, they don't. don't listen to your symptoms. Like they don't hear what you're saying. They're just putting one, two and three together. Mm -hmm. And then that's that. And let us all let, let us remind everyone that medicine is a practice. It's the practice of medicine. So they're practicing on our punk asses. They don't really know. Okay. Oh, we we're, we're, we are now a com true commodity to doctors no, that's in the United true. States of America. Yes, which is why I just ended up twenty years in healthcare. I ended up despising it 
it, it makes my it gives I th- I swear I'm diagnosing myself with post traumatic stress disorder from working with doctors for the last twenty years with doctors and their fucked up staff. Sorry, but it I, is what it is. I, it is what it is. I've I had mean, some great women that I've worked with and a few good doctors, but at the end of the day. As a patient, you are literally a commodity. Yes. They want you, they want as many people on that schedule and they don't care what they overlook or the lack of time they have to give. They want that check. 100%. And, I, and we I, don't I, even get a little bit of that. No, check. we don't. We don't. We don't. Okay, you got any more questions? We're <laughs> off topic. I know. <laughs> but on topic still. Right, right. Because you wanted to speak on the, you know, the medical profession. That was like someone, that's who you wanted to talk to outside of people. Right. Lawmakers, because there needs to be legislation, you know, passed. I, I, there is, there was something on the ballot in Georgia about sickle cell disease and medical marijuana. Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think so. I want to say yes, but I, that was happening right around like 2016 when I, when we were going through this end of life transition with Craig. So whatever was going on, I wasn't paying attention to it. Um, anyway, medical marijuana is still a very stagnant subject in the state of Georgia. It's not. I mean, they think they're being progressive when it comes to marijuana, but I think they just legalized CBD oil, for Christ's sake. So, I mean, I think they did legalize medical marijuana, but good luck finding a doctor that actually prescribes it, but you still can't purchase it in Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. You can't. So so we're talking about medical marijuana. I just want to go over some medications that have been approved for treatment for uh, sickle cell disease. And it does not, these medications do not cure sickle cell, they just treat the pain. So the one is hydroxyurea, which is a chemotherapy drug, which reduces the crisis in half. But you read or gave me a statistic that three out of four people are not on this form of therapy. Yeah, three out of four people aren't getting it. Yeah. There's also a medication in 2017 in Dari. Then in 2019, two medications have been approved. Uh, I'm I'm gonna mess this up. Adacvio is for patients. <laughs> it's for patients 16 and older. And then Oxybrida is for patients 12 to 16. And again, these medications just reduce the incidence of crisis and do not cure sickle cell. But any reduced amount of crisis. It's- I mean, it a keeps better you out quality of, hospital, of life. For, better quality quality of life. Those of you who are adults don't have to take off as much work. Right. Their families don't have to miss. I mean, having a medical problem not only is just your body. I mean, it affects your family. Oh. It affects your Man. pocket. I mean, it affects every aspect of your life. When you don't feel good, I mean, that is. I mean, that is. You know, that is just not. It's just sad. And <laughs> here, you know, I'm going to be brutally honest. You know, I have, Craig was my first child of five. And so once he became, you know, 16, 17, and I knew that I didn't have to stay in the hospital with him all the time because, you know, he's of age. It may have been before that, maybe 14, because I had other children. Right. You know, but what was, how did that impact him? You know, because when he was young, I would stay over. You know, and stay if he was in the hospital for a week, I was there for a week. But towards the end of his life, he said to me something that really hurt me to the core. I wish there were people, volunteers that could sit with 
people like me who don't have anyone here to visit. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and that's a part of the stress of the family is the fact that, you know, I can't be here with my son right. who's transitioning, dying, because I have life right. to live and bills to pay. And as a parent, you struggle with that guilt every day as it Ugh. is. So then on Man. top of that, having yeah. a child that's, yes. that's, Yes. Sick and in the hospital. I mean, it just compacts that guilt. Man, I oh can man. only imagine how far. Want to go back to diet because there, there's a woman in my subdivision who I learned in like twenty early late twenty fifteen early twenty sixteen who also has sickle cell SS, but she's like fifty two, and she gives credit to her um, hematologist and her diet: green leafy vegetables, fruits, protein. Natural sugars, not processed, because we all know processed sugar is bad for all of us. Right. Um, water, water, water. It's very important that sickle cell patients drink tons and tons of water because that restores the cells back to, I mean, because that's a form of therapy anyway, is IV right. hydration. So if you can keep yourself hydrated, that's a, a good thing. So is there anything else you wanted people to know about the disease? Oh, I mean, that is underfunded. <laughs> it's deadly. It has a negative impact on families and communities. It's underfunded. There's not a lot of resources for research. It's we, understudied. It's understudied. Which There's we no, already touched on. Mm -hmm. There's no national registry, which we already touched on. Um, but I wanted to, you know, there's, <laughs> we kind of scripted this. So question five you had for me. Um, and it's hard for us to script, isn't it? It is. It, it's much harder. Yeah, it is. We, we freestyle way better. Yeah, we're, little, we're like Lil Wayne that way. <laughs> <laughs> Young and this Luna, was not baby. an easy one to freestyle. No, we no, tried no, no, it. Because, yeah. And my big mouth. <laughs> I showed everyone the pictures of it. Oh, my God. It was God. very clear. Did you see it, producer? Did you see the lines? <laughs> <laughs> on the on the podcast that we that we that we did on Zoom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She she put the picture on Instagram, Instagram right? and Facebook. Like record on Zoom, you have two tracks: her her track and my track. So when I set them both side by side, her track was like that, and my track was like <laughs> my heart rate. Imagine a heart rate of like 180, and hers was at like 82. <laughs> it, my mouth was oh my so big; it was just gracious. so bad. So, yeah, that didn't work out well. But, yeah, we're getting it together because this is a really important podcast that they think to both of us. Yeah. Probably maybe more you, but I don't think so because I. this is what made us actually – this is what led us to stumble on the whole podcast idea because I wanted you to do a meetup. Right. Remember? Right, right. And I'm like, well, if not a meetup, maybe we should do a podcast. And then you were – well, you – but it took you a while to be ready to – because I understand this is – you know, not an easy topic to talk no, about and discuss. But, but it's necessary. It it's is necessary. I'll start. I'll stop a strong arm in the <laughs> conversation. <laughs> no, it's all good. Okay. You know, we talked about the lack of support. I also want to discuss um, the level of changes in care as the child grows from, you know, a child into adulthood. So that transition from pediatric care to then primary care. Is there even a transition? For, I feel like they take you out and just drop you on your head. And that is exactly what Craig experienced. So 
you know, when you're pediatric, the fucking football stars come and see you and leave teddy right. bears and shit. We got Russell Wilson <laughs> and Sierra, you know, hugged up and shit. You know, but once you hit 18, who comes to visit you? Who's bringing you teddy bears? Who's, right. you know, not only that, with sickle cell, we just read, you know, many patients are on Medicaid. A lot of hematologists that train to take care of blood disorders are not interested in treating sickle cell disease because the reimbursement for providers is not great. That's another statistic, but it 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 all ties into going from pediatric to adulthood. Now, right. in 20, 2019, I have I've been following the Sickle Cell Disease Association here in Georgia, and I do know that they now have what's called peer-to-peer -peer mentoring. So people with sickle cell are now mentoring, which I think is awesome. It is. And they also have a program which helps adults transition into care, you know, as they come out of pediatric care. So I think that's awesome, too. That is awesome. But is that just here in Atlanta? I don't think so. But, but you know, I don't know. And I'm, I'm because not... It's, because Atlanta is a predominantly black city. Right. So do they have that everywhere? So because imagine, like, black people that live in Utah. <laughs> I'm not even being smart. No, I, I kind of am, but, but I kind of am not. Like, I get it. Like, what do they do? Because you've even mentioned where you have to go to even get treatment or support groups. I mean, you got to go like downtown. Like not everybody wants to go downtown. Can exactly. we stay in the suburbs? Because not all black people live in the inner city. That's so true. Right. That so. is so true. And one of the things that Craig was not happy with, you know, there's a sickle cell clinic at Grady in Atlanta. And he went there once and said, Mom, I'm not going back. Be well, everybody knows Grady's the gunshot wound of the Capitol. And not only that, he didn't like the way it looked. And he didn't like, you know, it just, if it's not aesthetically pleasing, if it looks dirty, if it looks shitty, right. how is that going to make you, you already don't feel good. So now I got to look at shit that, you know. You don't want to feel, yeah, you don't feel good. You don't want to look that you shit don't want to be in, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. I get it. Everybody gets it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Especially if they live in Atlanta. They know they don't want to go to Grady. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you get shot, you want to go to Grady. Oh, my goodness. That's true. That actually, actually, that's very common. Like, people, they know, you know, if you get shot, you want to go to Grady. Because, because it's, that's, it's a city hospital. They are very... It's the very, same. They know a lot about treating a gunshot wound. I'm not being smart. That is very common no, knowledge in Atlanta. No, but is that Atlanta. not in any city? Because we, I'm from Flint. Well, I'm just saying that because I'm in Atlanta, and that's what I know. Yeah, and in Flint, there's Hurley Hospital. Right. Is the Grady of Flint. It's right. Hurley Hospital. Everybody fucking goes there. If you're dying at 10 o'clock, <laughs> they will save you, revive you at 10.02 <laughs> if you are dropped off at the I, Hurley I, I, ER. Dying from a gunshot wound, <laughs> <Yeah>. that is. <laughs> dying from a gunshot Or maybe a stabbing. Or maybe. That's maybe. so damn sad, uh, but I mean, it it, it's come to that. It is what it is, I guess. So, um, mm -hmm. do you want to talk about the... Uh, we wanted so to... So we did the childhood to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Mental health issues and depression um, for people with sickle cell disease. People with sickle cell disease commonly report low self-esteem and feelings of hopelessness as a result of frequent pain, hospitalizations, and a loss of schooling for children and employment for adults. But it all ties into what we're saying. You know, if you don't have resources, if nobody really gives a fuck, you know, then that's going to impact. It's a trickle down. Right. Yeah. 
it's when all you have is your family that really understand your pain and even do you really understand and i mean as a mom i'll never know I, i mean i could craig when he cried they were crocodile tears the saddest thing you know oh my god so but i wasn't feeling the pain only empathizing and you know as a mom yeah so i'll never know but in a world where what half the world's narcissistic now so you're only getting empathy at home you're not getting empathy anywhere else anywhere else that's so true there's no again may i reiterate it's understudied and underfunded Family doctors are undereducated on sickle cell mm-hmm. to the point where they half of them don't want to even take patients with it. Right. Hematologists don't want to take patients with it. What was what did I say? Twenty percent? Only twenty percent treat sickle cell disease. Not sickle so cell. Sad. That's that's for the very amount sad. of people who have the disease. And yeah. this disease affects you from birth until, until you, the the life expectancy of Someone with sickle cell SS, I think, is like 40. Craig was 27 when he died. Uh, my brother, however, is in his 40s. So, But he doesn't have sickle cell SS. He has sickle cell SC. And by no means am I, because he's been through some shit. Right. Um, You're oh, not. Yeah, no. He's been through it. They're, by no means am I making light of his situation. No. So, yeah. Right. I mean... Hip replacements, they go through everything because it's deteriorating their body. Male men who have sickle cell disease experience something called priapism, which is where their penis gets hard and stays hard. So it's not like, oh my God, I'm getting ready to have this is a painful erection that can last for days because of sickle cell. So does the blood like curdle in there? I have no because Craig never told me that he experienced that so I don't know. Mm-hmm. So like I, I mean this may be very obvious but like the main like as a parent as a caregiver as a, as a family member what do you think the biggest issue is that you face on a daily? Do you think it's the medical side? Do you think it's the depression? Do you think it's financial? Do you think it's resources? Like, what do you think, what would be the, if out of everything other than sickle cell not existing, what would you say be the number one thing that would have made your journey through sickle cell easy? Money. We live in a capitalistic society. And if I were a woman who had money, and could cure my son of sickle cell disease by all means. What, but would all the money have cured him? The cure just Well, came let out. me just say this because I think there's a basketball player, Carlos, is it Carlos Boozer? Somebody Boozer okay. had a, has a child who had sickle cell and I believe they paid for because it can be cured through a stem cell transplant. I believe the child was cured through. So it's money. Everything is, you know what I find crazy about the whole stem cell? So stem cell comes from placentas. Mm-hmm. So our babies have to be injected with vitamin K at birth because it our, the placenta is removed so quickly, mm-hmm. right? The placenta is removed immediately. immediately. And if you kept the placenta on for 30 minutes, 
nine times out of 10, that baby wouldn't need the vitamin K injection because they would be getting all the natural blood supply from the placenta. So they are taking the placentas. They're not giving them to giving them to us. No, they're keeping them. Right. So they're keeping our placentas. So I think anyone birth <laughs> birth from here on out, I wish I would have thought about this with my daughter. <laughs> you should really f and fight for that placenta or charge these motherfuckers for it because we're paying how much thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to give birth to give nowadays. Birth. Mm-hmm. But they're keeping our placentas and they're coming up with medicine created from that placenta, from stem cells from these placentas. Doing studies off these placentas, off stem cells, and charging the average person who they took the fucking placenta from enormous amounts of money to get cured for but, shit that are coming from our placentas. I'm, I'm gonna need you to say placenta one more time. <laughs> so I'm just saying. No, I get it though. So You're they should be giving me right. a goddamn fucking free childbirth for my placenta alone. Exactly, because that placenta or, is saving lives. Right, or they're, and they're injecting our baby with foreign vitamin K when all they need to do is leave it on for 30 more minutes. But that 30 more minutes doesn't fit their timely schedule to get to the next birth because of their money. And not only again, we're a commodity. <laughs> Wait a minute, because nowadays, now this didn't happen when I had my last baby. Just like Henrietta Lacks. You read the story. Yeah, of Henrietta I, know, Lacks. I know that story. They what is it? Skin to skin contact. They charged the ba- the yeah. mom skin to skin contact. Well, leave the fucking placenta on for this thirty minutes since I'm being charged for the skin. My own fucking baby. You're charging me. Yeah, it's not. It's not. There's some. It is flawed. Our system is flawed. This government is flawed. It is self-serving, and they are bastards. And it doesn't matter if it's a fucking Democrat or Republican up in there. I just always got to make that very clear for all you in-the-box thinkers. (laughs) So, yes, money. Had I had money, I know that it would have changed the trajectory of— You could have put your placenta in the freezer and got your own stem cells. Exactly. Yes. I'm um, so, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. But... I get so frustrated. <laughs> it's not right. It's not. It's not. It's not. So I wanted to um, get into, did we, did we hit we, on everything? We still got to talk about the Facebook. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. So we have to go into that. I was following before I removed myself from that platform. From the devil's playground. Yes. I was following a sickle cell group. And there were some um, questions and experiences that really touched my heart. So you want to, we can read. Go ahead. So, well, basically my question was discuss your Facebook experience. The main questions that you've seen on there, the concerns and the complaints. And it goes back to what I've read about feeling like a stepchild. Yeah. So um, did you want to want me to read it? I'll read the first one. Okay. Um, this is from M. Aria. I've been in the ER since 8.30 p.m. It is now 2 a.m. I didn't get into a room until 10 p.m. Didn't see a nurse until 10.50 p.m. The first person that saw me was a phlebotomist for labs. I visit the ER somewhat frequently, so the phlebotomist is familiar with me, and every time I get her, she is snobby and rude. I politely asked her, could she draw my blood off my IV when I get it? She snatched my arm and still proceeded to poke me. I told her no. She got mad, got my nurse, and they were whispering and called me ignorant. Like, what the fuck did I do to you? That was her experience. Okay, so this is Brittany. I'm just sitting in the ER, and the doctor just came in saying, I don't look like I'm in pain. So she she is doing nothing. No oxygen, no fluids, and for sure no pain relief. 
My requests have been denied to speak to management and everyone views me as a drug seeker. I've been here for hours and don't understand how they are able to get away with this mistreatment. They're killing us silently straight to our face with no penalty, no penalties. It's not right. Brittany. Um, and I have one from Garrick and this one really got to me. I find it insensitive, inconsiderate, and a bit arrogant for two trait-carrying adults to repeatedly procreate together, thereby knowing and willingly condemning children to a lifetime of a disease you yourself have never had to endure as if this disease is a joke. What gives you the right? How does one watch a child suffer the effects of this horrible disease with a clear conscience decide, hey, let's do this two or three more times? Am I wrong in feeling this way? I mean, no offense to anyone personally. And I totally get it. I had to reply to that and say that I totally agreed with him. He wasn't trying to call anyone out. But if he has sickle cell, I totally get it. And I went to a function not too long ago, right. Rock the Block. And there was a woman there who had two babies with sickle cell. And I just, dealing with one for 27 years, I can't imagine what her life must entail to have two children who right. suffer. And I don't think, that I, I, I think that happens more often than not because I follow a lady on Twitter who also has more than one child who suffers from the disease. And God bless them for being strong. Right. You know, but shit. Is right. it insensitive? You know, that's, a, I, I, that's, I can't, yeah. I don't know that I, I mean, it's very rare that I don't share my opinion, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't even know if I actually have an honest opinion on that. It's, it's very hard. That's, that's very hard. But I agree with him. I mean, I get I it. Mean, to, I get exactly to, where he's coming from, especially if he has it and he's suffering every day. And he's like, you know, because, I mean, there's bad days. And I'm like, oh, God, why? When I'm on my period or when I have a right. headache. Yeah. And then and then you have to deal with something like this every single day of your life. Yeah. Yes. I could imagine that those kind of because there's stages, you know, it's just like stages of grief. I'm sure there's stages of people. With with any illness, especially lifelong. Right, right. Because children with illnesses seem to be very wise. Oh my and god. Deep. Craig was the sweetest and right. the wisest. And they, yes. They know to be grateful. I think yes. I think they learn gratitude yes. at a very early and age. Patience. Right. Yes. So they just are a little more wise beyond their years than most of us mm -hmm. who just take life for granted. But yes. Right. So yeah, oh. I, I don't have but I get it. And it's sad that there's kids out there that actually yes, have to think like that. But One more thing. I'm going to take this one. This is uh, also this was a question off of Facebook. Has anyone heard of folic acid? So I'm going to say that my son was on folic acid and pen VK from the bell. Like that was a form of his pen VK is a prophylactic penicillin because if sicklers get infection that causes fever it can be deadly so he had to take penicillin and folic acid every day so the fact that someone asked that right really sent I me was like just thinking that. like well, it's like what you said like three to three out of four people aren't being treated with hydroxyurea so although you know we learn in medicine that there is no stupid question 
But I was like, wow, th this blew my mind. Well, with sickle cell being the way it is and the very few treatment options there is, you would think that all roads would be covered at yes. the most basic level. I mean, look at just what I read. Now, I did do the research project in Duke. Right. So I did do research. I did research sickle cell even more so than just Before for this podcast. Before she even met me. Right. <laughs> yes. Because I met someone who, who actually, now that I'm thinking about it, had three kids with sickle cell. Wow. Now, his daughter seemed to suffer the most. The youngest one didn't. I don't know that he ever did, but I know the daughter, I know she had her spleen removed and she was young. She suffered. She seemed to be the one who suffered the most mm -hmm. from it. But needless to say, I did my research topic on that. But where was I going with this? We were talking about folic acid and all roads leading to, like, this should oh, be, Oh, yeah. so, but basically, I did a little bit of research mm -hmm. for that project and for this, and I know that there's limited amounts of treatment. So you would think it wouldn't be hard. Like, I feel like if I was a doctor just fresh out of med school and I got a patient with sickle cell, I would go home and probably spend, you could probably spend two hours and figure out all this out. Yes. You would yes. figure all this out. So... It, it just shows it's the lack. They don't care. They don't I mean, care. it's sad to say it, and I hate to generalize, but sometimes it is what it is. So, yeah, it's very inconsistent. Yeah. On yeah. something that should be very, you know, if there's five things that you do for a certain medical diagnosis, just like glaucoma. Glaucoma. There's like, what, three things, four things? And, I mean, that's very common. I worked at a lot of different ophthalmic practices, and it was pretty standard, and I, I didn't see any of them really miss it. Like no one with vis with glaucoma says, "What's a vi has anyone ever heard of a visual field?" Right. You know what you I mean? Know, they know exactly. They know what it is mm -hmm. because they've been getting it since their first diagnosis. Diagnosis, and even before, because before your glaucoma diagnosed, you're a glaucoma suspect, and I'll be goddamn. You right. Gotta yeah. Yes. They're and watching then, your optic yes, nerve. Yes. In order to be actually diagnosed with glaucoma, you got to have two out of three things. And right. That's a visual field defect. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. So it it really yeah we we proved it. Right, right, right. But right. it's just a matter of, again, if white people aren't being affected. You know, you say that, and I want to go back to a statistic about that thing, what you just said about it impacting white people, because white people are quick to say that's not true and don't generalize us and we're not that way and blah, 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 blah. And it's not all white people, but... The medical profession is as guilty as of the construct of racism as all of the other organizations. <laughs> Unfortunately, but here along with classism right. and nepotism, right, right, and right. favoritism. So the They're like the code of silence, like the goddamn police. <sighs> but anyway, sickle cell disease highlights racial disparities in healthcare. This is a Forbes.com article written in 2015. Uh, I read this one. I yeah, think. yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a study that, a uh, pain study, found that pain is treated differently among ethnic groups. For example, for fractures, Latinos were two times as likely to receive no pain medication during the emergency room visit than non-Hispanic whites. The same was found between African Americans and whites. So... They're quick to give a white person the pain medication. Well, maybe that's why heroin finally hit the white folks. 
Well, and then that's when it became an epidemic. I mean, once it hit middle America, the white white people did, oh, shit, we got to figure out this opioid crisis, goddammit, because Sarah's fucking overdosed. (laughs) Shit. I'm sorry. I know. Why are we laughing? Sorry, Sarah. So sorry. Not sorry. Sorry. Stop. (laughs) Okay. But anyway, so we're going to wrap, and Joe is going to give us some. We just wanted to mention some organizations. Yes. You know, because it is understudied, it is underfunded, so the organizations that are out there should be, you know, told and yes. maybe researched. So there's Supported. the SCDAA, that's the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, and you can find them at scdaa.org. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Sickle Cell Warriors on Facebook, mm-hmm. and that's Sickle Cell Warriors. Yes. And then there's sicklecellsociety.org. Mm-hmm. Then there's Gen sicklecell.com which is gen g-e-n which is basically short Generate. for generation mm-hmm. sickle cell and that's fund founded by jordan sparks who lost a close family member to sickle cell here recently young the person was young i don't even think the person was a teenager like oh, a wow. child yeah and then there's giving tuesday so every tuesday if you text break b-r-e-a-k with your name and dollar amount to five zero one five five that's just a way to donate towards sickle cell yes. research. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a movie titled Spilled Milk that follows the journey of a gentleman with sickle cell disease. So just watching that will show some support. You'll learn something, learn, get yes, some it's knowledge. very informative. And, you know, find out a little something about this disease that's, you know, not really recognized. And they do... They are working on getting a national registry, but again, until you get a national re- registry, there's no true statistics on it, but the statistics that are there, it does affect more than 100,000. And that's a lot. In Americans. Right. And that's Americans. That's just people in the United States. Yes. And that's people of color. Yes. And that's just not black people. That's people of color in general. So that includes Latinos. Obviously Asians, Asians too, because when I read that, I'm like, right. oh, Asians? Okay. Right. Wow. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, please support a local organ, your organ, the organizations, at least, you know, get on, read up on it. And support. Yeah. And then always you can follow us at on Facebook at the Rowan Joe show and Instagram at the Rowan Joe show. And that's it's actually Ron Joe show mm-hmm. with the W. Yes. And, and on Twitter at Row. And Joe show no W. No W. Yes. Yes. And thanks for listening. We missed yes, you guys. We missed you all. Yes. So that is. Are we wrapping? All right. Bye. Roy and Joe show deuces. Bye. <laughs>